What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on, on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined as always by my man, David Lake, coming at you on a, I guess, holiday week. Do, do we consider July 4th a, a holiday week? Um, recording this on a Wednesday. Normally, we're trying to do two podcasts uh, a week, just kind of with our schedules. Looks like we're only going to maybe squeeze one in. Uh, but we should have another one, or we should be back to to, to regular schedule next week. Uh, David, how you doing? Doing well, yeah. I mean, I think July 4th, definitely a holiday week. Um, and, and mainly for that reason is, is why we're just going to do one, one podcast this week. Um, just kind of enjoy the holiday weekend as much as we can. And we'll get back into the regular routine next week, hopefully you know, honestly, too, this was somewhat of a dead week for from Miami Hurricanes perspective, but we'll get back into it next week. You know, the month of July is here and fall camp uh, as originally scheduled is oh. only a month away. So we can uh, maybe start getting into start getting into talking about the, the 2020 season here and some upcoming podcasts. We'll see. Uh, you know, I get like those. Um social media type things uh where it's like one year ago you were doing this and uh yeah. it was like this past week it was all paradise camp stuff and uh normally it's the opening and, and the elite 11 that's going on so i yeah. still feel like i'm just as busy uh yep. i'm only not there i'm just at home um you know it's different <laughs> yeah i mean there's always something to write with this off season i, I agree with that and thankfully you know, Manny Diaz made plenty of changes from last season, so there's interesting things to write about when projecting this 2020 year. But we can get into that, you know, a little more in this podcast and in future podcasts too. Yeah, so let's let's kind of go with the the story that you published. I think it was Sunday. It was Sunday. I wanted to say. It was over the weekend. You wrote a story um, that I thought was really interesting, and I know it kind of drove some conversation on, on our site, you know, Miami.247sports.com and Inside the U. And basically the title of it is, Can Miami Be LSU Light in, in 2020? And I think you're, what you're kind of hinting at is, can Miami be um, a similar version of LSU? And I, I think you're saying a, a light version because – if you said a full-on LSU, I mean, that's a team that had an electric season and, and produced right. a ton of draft picks and obviously won a national title. So kind of take us through the thought process behind this and yeah. why you think this was something that, that – or, or how, how did this idea even, even come about? Yeah, I mean, you know, the main premise of this article – and again, if you just look at the headline, I get why maybe some people would be skeptical about the article. Totally understand that, that reasoning. Uh, but I think if you actually took the time to read the article, and you know, frankly, it, it's kind of a long one, um, I think you would understand where I'm coming from. Basically, the, the, the main premise is, you know, look, last year, LSU hired a offensive, a co-offensive coordinator, I guess a passing game coordinator in Joe Brady from the New Orleans Saints. And he helped install some, you know, real true spread type tactics into their offense. And honestly, I, I think it was 
it's the first time LSU really fully embraced the spread offense. And it led to them, like you said, having a magical season. Uh, it definitely helped their quarterback produce to the next level. It unlocked the potential of their talented wide receiver group. Uh, it, it did the same for a running back who turned into a dynamic talent. Um, and, you know, it, it also helped uh, Ed Orgeron kind of gain respect as a big-time head coach. Um, so I think on the surface, big picture-wise, you can see, hey, Manny Diaz is, is kind of trying to make a similar improvement or jump at Miami. Now, I think it's fair to say, obviously, LSU last, going into last year was starting in a much better spot than Miami is going into this year. I think LSU was coming off a 10-3 and season. Maybe they went 9-3 and in the regular season the previous year. And so, you know, they made, uh, you know, an improvement that saw them go 12-0 and in the regular season, went on to be 15-0 and national champions, one of the greatest teams of all time, in my opinion. I'm not saying Miami is going to go from 6-7 and seven last year to being a college football playoff team, even. But I think, you know, if – if you look at it within the context of can Miami make a, a three-game jump or four-game jump, kind of similar to how LSU did in 2019, I think that potential's there. And we can take a dive into, you know, I think some of the more interesting points, if you want. I, I know one thing that interested me in my research on this topic was um, – you know, obviously LSU had well-rounded talent or sorry, well-rounded production with their quarterback, running back and receivers all producing at a incredibly high level with their offense. And in my research, I found that there was only one other FBS team in 2019 that produced a passer that totaled at least 3,900 yards, a running back that produced at least 1,200 yards, and a receiver that produced at least 1,200 yards as well. And that team was, L or, sorry, was SMU, who was, whose offensive coordinator was Rhett Lashley, who is now at Miami. So, I mean, LSU's numbers uh, on those si similar statistics blow away SMU's, to be quite frank. But the point is there that this is definitely a true spread offense. And if Miami has the weapons, which I think they do have some weapons that are intriguing, I think, you know, this could be the spark of, of a nice run for Miami. Um, I guess, do you think Derek King is, is, is Joe Burrow? <laughs> well, okay, I'll say this. And this point might lose some people too, but, but hear me out. I think, you know, obviously we have the benefit of hindsight and we know that Joe Burrow, you know, had probably, you know, I think definitely the greatest passing season we've ever seen from a college quarterback. He was incredible. There is no doubt about it. But I would probably argue uh, going into 
their senior seasons in terms of Derek King this year going into this season at Miami and Joe Burrow going into his senior season at LSU. I would argue Derek King uh, had a more impressive resume. And, you know, that's not to say that Derek King's going to be better this senior season than Joe Burrow was. I think the possibility of that happening is extremely slim. But I do think, you know, the point I'm trying to make is Derek King is an extremely talented quarterback. You know, there's so many stats, which I've written this offseason, that illustrate um, just how special of a college quarterback Derek King is. And so, yeah, I mean, I do think, honestly, he is probably closer to a Joe Burrow level type quarterback than people realize. But again, I don't think he's going to, you know, produce even close to a same level as Joe Burrow just because his numbers were so enormous last year. But do I think he could have maybe the best single season season? statistically showing of a Miami quarterback ever. Yeah. I think De'Ara King can, can rewrite the record books at Miami this year. I guess another thing that should be pointed out, and I know you kind of addressed this is the difference in the quality uh, or receivers, or I should say maybe offensive weapons. I mean, LSU, anyone who watched them last year know that they had a extremely talented trio of pass mm-hmm. catchers in Terrace Marshall, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase. And when I look at Miami's roster, I don't necessarily see right. um, anyone that I would kind of compare to that. I do I do think, though, I mean, LSU had at, at Thaddeus Moss, the tight end, I think Brevin Jordan, you know, that, that's comparable. I, I, um, you know, running back situation, you know, Miami's a li- little young there outside of what they got in Cam Harris, but there's some talent, I guess, for me, just where do where does that production come yeah. um, from, from the receiver's room? No, I think that's a great point. I would say the thing to look at uh, from a Miami perspective is not necessarily can Miami match the talent that LSU had at receiver last year because I don't think they can. But I would rather look at can Miami – somewhat mirror LSU at receiver in terms of the jump in production when they switched from a pro style offense to a spread style offense. So, I mean, let's look at Jamar Chase, right? Who, you know, let's be real. He's much better than any of the receivers Miami has on their roster right now. He's a complete stud, probably going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Again, I am not saying Miami has anyone close to Jamar Chase or will produce close to Jamar Chase. But, uh, you know, the previous season, Jamar Chase totaled 23 receptions for 313 yards and three touchdowns. Last year, in 2019, that production exploded to 84 receptions for 1,780 yards and 20 touchdowns. Now, some of that's going to be due to him taking the jump from being just a freshman to a sophomore. Some of it, I think, too, is the new offense unlocking some of his potential. Um, and, and the other receivers, honestly, too, that LSU had in 2019 took 
jumps in production. Justin Jefferson nearly doubled his production from the previous year. Terrace Marshall tripled his production from the previous year. So, you know, look, I think we, we've touched on it in previous podcasts. I'm a believer in the talent of Mark Pope. I'm a believer in the talent of Jeremiah Payton. I think Mike Harley can be a solid, dependable slot receiver. You touched on Brevin Jordan. I think he can be highly productive in this offense. I think, it, I think a lot of those guys can, and I don't know which ones it will be, but I think, like, for instance, Mark Pope, right? He has not uh, totaled more than 300 receiving yards in a season yet at Miami. I could see him making the jump to at least 500 receiving yards this year, potentially more if he really puts it all together. Jeremiah Payton, the same, you know, he's a redshirt freshman. He didn't really play last year, but I think he has the talent to be a guy who totals at least 500 receiving yards this year. So again, I'm not saying Miami's skill talent matches the elite overall talent that LSU had at, at the skill positions last year, but I'm looking at it like, can Miami's guys make a jump this year and produce at a higher level? which honestly is really the whole reason why Manny Diaz switched to this new offense. I think something else that should be brought up is, and Manny's actually pointed this out. I think it was it after the FIU loss, um, you know, early on in Ed Orgeron's tenure, they lost the game at home to Troy. Um, And and there was a, a time when a lot of people didn't think, that was going to work out and look what kind of happened in terms of his tenure uh, and the trajectory and how he turned things around. I'm, I'm just wondering, did you take that into account when you also made this, this comparison? Um, with- I thought about it, but to be honest, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mainly wanted to make it about um, the offense and how that kind of changed the whole LSU program. But, I mean, look, when you discuss the comparison, you can't overlook the head coach. Um, but, yes, I think it's fair to bring up that point. In terms of just like a guy kind of figuring it out at, yeah. as a head coach. The, the thing I would say is, you know, Ed Orgeron still does have plenty. Like, he has a lot of experience under his belt. And I think when you're a head coach, like – experience is the only way you really learn on the job. Like you can't, you can't learn how to be a head coach without doing it. And so this is the second year of the Manny Diaz era. I think he has shown the ability that he's willing to learn and adapt and move away from what doesn't work with the changes he's made this off season. But, you know, at the same time, he's still only in his second year as a head coach. Um, so there's probably still going to be some learning on the job happening. Um, whereas, you know, Ed Orgeron had been a head coach at, at multiple different stops and, um, you know, he kind of knew how to manage this dynamic electric run, um, I think, because of that experience. But yes, I think big picture wise, I mean, look, nobody necessarily thought Ed Orgeron was a big-time coach before last year. He won a title, and now he's a big-time coach. 
nobody thought Joe Burrow was going to be a transcendent quarterback. He obviously produced at that level last year. Um, no one thought, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who, you know, is probably all of five foot six, um, would be a dynamic running back for that offense uh, that he was. I mean, the year before 2019, I think he totaled like 600 rushing yards. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Cameron Harris produces at a much higher level than we've seen in this offense, um, just because Rhett Lashley does a good job of featuring the running back. So I think there are some interesting parallels, interesting differences. I think the defense, you know, LSU's secondary was special last year, um, just simply on a different level than what Miami's secondary this year is going to be. But I think you could argue that um, Miami's pass rush is in a better spot than LSU's was last year. So, you know, I think the point I tried to make defensively was just like, look, both those teams had a ton of speed all over the place on defense at, at the various levels. And basically that's what it boils down to nowadays for modern defense. Do you have the speed to contain spread offenses? Cause quite frankly, you're not going to necessarily stop spread offenses anymore. You just got to try and contain them, give the ball back to your offense as much as possible and hope your offense can have, you know, success, which, which is what, they're hoping Derek King can bring at quarterback. So any other holes? I guess what holes would you want to poke in this premise overall? What do you feel like is the biggest hole? Um, I, the, the playmakers on offense. And uh, I, th- I think you bring up some good points about there being similarities in terms of the changing of the offenses with the quarterbacks. I just – you know, Miami's going to have talent in, the, in that defensive front seven. I don't know about it. It's the similar in, in the secondary. But I, I think it's a good, not working theory, but kind of what yeah, if just, or, or right. something to, to marinate on, um, you know, in July when we have no idea what's going to happen with the football season. But, uh, no, yeah. I, I, I can see it. Um, and, again, like I'm just saying big picture-wise – can this new offense spark Miami to be a 10 win team? You know, I think the potential is there. They have to go out and do it, of course. Um, But yeah, I mean, who last year going into the 2019 season, again, we have hindsight uh, working here against us, but who going into the 2019 season would have predicted last year's LSU team was one of the best of all time. Right. All right. That one. Um, you know, I, I just think it's, I think it's interesting, um, interesting thing to chew on. I think another big difference between the two is the offensive lines. Um, I do think the new offense is going to help Miami's offensive line be better. I think obviously they've made some personnel additions to this year's offensive line. That'll make them better than they were last year. But, you know, LSU returned, I think their top five if I remember correctly, offensive line men from the previous year. And they were a relatively good offensive line uh, the previous year. So 
yeah, Miami's returning a ton of guys too, but they weren't necessarily a good offensive line the, the previous year. So that's kind of a big difference too between these two teams. Uh, let's take a quick break. On the other side, a little recruiting nuggets as the Elite 11 did take place, albeit uh, in a different format. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, David. So I know uh, over the past few days, me and you have kind of been watching um, as much as we could of the Elite 11 quarterback competition, which was held in Nashville, um, 24-7 sports elected not to send any staff members out there just kind of because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. But um, the Elite 11 did a great job of allowing really anyone with a you know phone and internet access yeah. to, to kind of follow along. And they um, – showed some of the, the workouts on their Instagram live feed. And I know me and you watched some of it. Uh, Miami d- d- doesn't have a quarterback commit yet in the class of 2021. And the two big targets weren't there in Jake Garcia, um, who is the four-star quarterback out of Los Angeles that's currently committed to USC. He was not invited and either was Jalen Milrow, the, uh, the other four-star quarterback out of Texas, who is committed to the in-state Longhorns. So there really wasn't a lot of Miami interest, um, but there was one notable arm working out, and that was Jay Allen, a really, uh, I mean, he's graded out as twenty by 24-7 sports as a three-star athlete, and I think that's kind of exactly what he is. He's a yeah kid who plays three different sports, committed to Florida to play baseball. Apparently, he's like a top 10 baseball prospect as an outfielder. Um, I think he batted like 350 last season. At one point, perfect game ranked him as the number one outfielder in the, in the state of Florida. Uh, he also plays basketball, averaged 13 points on the hardwood in the winter. But he, he's a quarterback, and he's really raw, and he's someone who Miami um, has initiated contact with as they kind of search for a quarterback this cycle. And we got a chance to see him throw against alongside some of the nation's best. And uh, what, what did you think? Uh, Cause I have some thoughts as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you provided the proper context there with him being raw and, and him being a quarterback prospect that doesn't necessarily focus on playing quarterback 365 days a year. So that is why he's raw. But, um, you know, you can definitely see on some of his throws that he does have arm talent. Um, you know, it's tough 
comparing him to a lot of these other elite 11 quarterbacks who, you know, frankly work these drills every single day, have much cleaner footwork, much cleaner mechanics. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he's not as clean of a prospect as those guys, uh, but he sh- you, if you're watching him and you're down on him, you shouldn't have expected him to be on that right. level because right. if he was, he's a freak. Um, so yeah, yeah I mean, that's kind of where I, he's, he's an upside guy. I think there is upside there. Um, if I, if I was Miami and you know, I think they should go after him, but I wouldn't necessarily make him my only quarterback recruit that I'd be chasing. So if I'm chasing Jay Allen, I would be looking to bring in two quarterbacks in a class, to be quite frank. That's just me. Um, But yeah, I mean, overall, I'm I'm still intrigued. I was intrigued going into the Elite 11, and I'm still kind of on on that. Right. And I guess we should take a few steps back. I mean, I wrote, uh, I was the first to report that Rhett Lashley had made contact with Jay Allen's um, coach, and I I believe – uh, the coach had filmed a workout of, of Jay Allen uh, and sent it to Rhett Lassie. So he's a guy who Miami is evaluating. I keep hearing the word intrigued. And why is Miami intrigued? It's because exactly what you said, David. I mean, he doesn't spend 365 days a year um, training to be a better quarterback. I mean, I, I honestly don't even know if it's over 150. Because, uh, yeah. you know, before the Elite 11, he was out in Alabama playing at some showcase baseball thing. Like baseball – is kind of, I don't know, the moneymaker for him in some way. I mean, I guess who knows what the future of minor league baseball is, but uh, I think it's pretty clear that's the first sport. But he, he told me that he's looking to play both both sports in college, and if Miami were to offer, um, that, would some, that, would, that would change some things. And my take on the situation is if I'm Miami, you know, I, I keep that dialogue going. See what happens with Jake Garcia and Jalen yeah. Milrow as we get into the season, and see what 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 this Jay Allen kid looks like. I mean, I don't, I cannot see um, another school maybe swooping in here uh, and trying to steal him. I mean, that's certainly possible. Right. Um, I know he said Washington State's talked with him, Penn State's talked with him, and and there were some other schools. But I mean, you got time. Uh, the ball is in your court, so. Uh, I know some Miami fans want to go like, what are they doing? But um, you got to evaluate your options. And I think he, he's one of them that is on the board. David, what did you kind of think? Was there anyone else at the, at the, uh, yeah. at the, at the event that kind of popped for you? I'll, I'll say this. Um, Caden Salter, who is yeah. pretty ranked pretty high, you know, he visited Miami um, – or he was on campus with, with my, with his seven on seven team back in January and Miami ended up not offering and he eventually committed to Tennessee. I didn't think he had the, the best of weeks. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's still talented, but I was expecting him to kind of light it up. And um, now I kind of maybe understand why Brett Lashley didn't push for push for him uh, right then and there, especially if he was going after some of these other guys like Garrett Nussmeyer um, and, and others. Yeah, I liked, you mentioned Garrett Nussmeyer. I liked him. I feel like he was a guy that played with a lot of moxie, um, you know, and and showed the ability to push the ball down the field. Me personally, that's kind of just what I'm looking for uh, with these Elite 11 workouts is who are the guys that can really push the ball 
downfield and outside the numbers with accuracy because I think that's what separates the men from the boys at these workouts. I thought Nussmeyer showed that ability uh, at a pretty high level consistently. And then the other guy that I was just curious about because, you know, it somewhat affects Miami is Miller Moss, who is committed to USC along with Jake Garcia, who, you know, we all know now Miami's definitely trying to flip. Um, And I remember, you know, when Miller Moss committed to USC, um, I believe it was sometime in May, kind of the word coming out of that area was, you know, Miller Moss thinks he's better than Jake Garcia. So that's why he committed to USC. So Miller Moss thinks he can beat out Jake Garcia. And on the flip side, when that happened, Jake Garcia, you know, according to sources, wasn't worried because he was confident he could beat out Miller Moss. Um, Just my snapshot uh, impression from having seen Jake Garcia at Miami last summer workout and then watching Miller Moss at the Elite 11 event, you know, via Instagram video. So it's, it's a little bit of a different view. But my, my snapshot impression, honestly, is I do think Jake Garcia is a better player, has more upside, you know, just brings more physical gifts to the position. Miller Moss does have some tools that are impressive, but honestly, I think if I was USC, I would have just tried to make it work with Jake Garcia. I, I don't understand why they would necessarily want to ruffle things with him by bringing on Miller Moss. That's just, that was just my take on, on Miller Moss. No, I think you're on to something there. Um, you know, again, we are only watching, uh, Instagram live or yeah, Instagram live videos. That was my first time seeing Miller, Miller Moss, like really seem throw in that type of setting. And I, I do agree with your assessment that, um, I'd probably take Jake Garcia over him. I think he's got a little bit more of a, a live arm. Yeah. Um, I also thought Miller Moss, you could hear him kind of in between reps. He was really friendly with the guy doing the video and like, he's just kind of like a, like a <laughs> football. Yeah. He's a quirky football nerd. Like I thought like a little, I got like an Andrew Luck vibe from him. Yeah. Um, and the more I think about it, I mean, remember at one time Miami was in on Miller Moss and like, I don't know if that guy would have fit at, at Miami in terms of yeah personality. Um, yeah. Oh. Kind of a, a football nerd or, you know, but yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was interesting that way. And then I'll, I'll say this too. I think the Baylor commit, what's his name? Chiron Drones. Do I have that correct? Yeah. He, like we did the, the rankings as a 24 seven sports staff. And like, we had him number three. I thought he was super intriguing. Um, you, know, you know, what's interesting there is um, the, oh man, I forget the trainer's name, but Derek King's trainer in Houston, uh, you know, QB takeover, I believe is his Instagram handle. Um, he trains Chiron drones as well. So, you know, there is kind of a Miami connection. Uh, Derek King and Chiron, I'm sure worked out together a bunch this summer before Derek came back to Miami. So that's somewhat interesting. Honestly, like, in the in these videos um that i saw in the summer like earlier in the summer you know chiron 
wasn't necessarily as impressive as he was at the elite 11 camp. I think he's a guy who is, you know, putting in a lot of work to get better and better and better. And he's progressing at kind of a rapid pace now. And so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how he does this senior season. Cause I think the ceiling is high there. I think Baylor's got a good one and they're going to have to work to keep him. I bet. Yeah. I mean, who knows? He, he, I, from my understanding, like Baylor wanted Caden Saltler, and then once they realized they weren't getting him, they went and they offered this guy. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I think high ceiling is is definitely there. And I, I think another takeaway from all of that is when we talk about just kind of quarterback recruiting in general is, so look, he's a guy who didn't start till his junior year. Um, so guys kind of develop at different times. And I think you always got to keep that in mind. He's only 16 years old as well. I think they said he doesn't turn 17 um, until next month. So something to keep in mind. Uh, one other thing I did write on the site um, that was for VIP. Uh, now I got to find the kid's name. <laughs> now I got to find the kid's name. Let me, um, uh, let me make a point too, just because I think it does matter to compare yourself against the in-state programs, right? So Florida, Florida State, both had com- quarterback commits at the Elite 11. Florida's Carlos Del Rio and then Florida State's Luke Altmeyer. And I do think both those guys were, were fairly good, fairly impressive. And so from a Miami perspective, I think that can potentially put the pressure on you even more. Like, hey, you got to go get a quarterback yourself now because – your in-state competition has has a guy that you know has starter potential so I just think that's an interesting thing to point out as well no that's certainly notable I mean I've seen Carlos Del Rio he threw what was it two summers ago at at Miami and he looked like a completely different quarterback to me I mean he was excellent during that that pro day and he's a big body so it's kind of scary to think about him in Dan Mullen's type of offense Uh, I thought Luke Altmaier the Florida State commit is is better than anything that's available in state this cycle. So that is a yeah. good take and a good evaluation by um by Mike by Mike, Mike Norvell and those guys. And he's probably, you know, I'm not sure how high his ceiling is, but there's a pretty high floor. Like I think you know yeah. what you're what you're getting with him. Um that other quarterback note I was gonna mention. Uh wrote about it on the site. Braden Locke, a a twenty twenty two quarterback out of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex area. He's at Rockwell, Texas. He's he's a three-star recruit in the class of 2022. He is uh I guess a week from now going to be in the Florida Keys uh Ooh. and he's planning to swing by um the University of of Miami and spend some time in, in Coral Gables. He's a guy that Rhett Lashley had offered when he was at SMU. Um picked up an offer from the hurricanes right away. And just kind of based on my conversation with him, like I absolutely think if, if we want to look ahead to the next cycle, I know Miami's trying to find one for the class of 2021, but if we want to talk about a name to know in 2022, I think he's a guy and he threw through four through for 4,000 yards as a, as a sophomore with 52 touchdowns to go against nine interceptions. So if you haven't got, haven't watched his tape, Braden Locke is certainly, I think, going to be a name to know in addition to um, Ja'Kerry Brown, who we, we dis, uh, discussed pre- – <clears throat> excuse me, who we discussed previously. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if uh, Mr. Locke and his family are all about that Florida Keys life, <laughs> Miami's got a good shot here because, you know, the Keys is a nice place to visit. And it's, you know, depending on which key, not a far drive from Coral Gables. So that's a, that's a good place to start for Rhett Lashley. I just hope it's still uh, open for them come July 11th. True. And, and uh, yeah, and also got to point out too, I mean, he won't be able to meet with Miami staff. It's still a dead period, right. but he can, he can walk around the campus and I'm sure he can talk to Rhett Lashley uh, on FaceTime. So uh, I think it's just big that he'll actually get on campus. So tell us about, I think it was the weekend, maybe it was Friday, I forget, but I think it was Saturday. You made a new crystal ball prediction, you know, by now with the way the internet works, it's already out there who the guy is. Uh, Richard Smith, you know, I'm a huge fan as, as I'm sure the listeners of the podcast have picked up on by now. Dynamic slot receiver, strong body guy. Um, tell us more about what we need to know about that crystal ball prediction, Andrew. So Brashard Smith, you know, he's a former Florida Gators commit. He plays at the powerhouse that is Miami Palmetto. Um, he is not the biggest of slot receivers out there, but he is absolutely one of the fastest. You know, we've said in the numerous times in the past, verified four four speed. I think he had like thirty touches as a junior, ended up scoring on roughly 14 or 15 of them. So he, he's an electric playmaker. Um, you know, I, I've been trying to think of a good player comp from him. Uh, this one, you know, I, I don't know if it really, really works, um, but Brandon James, who was an old kick returner for Florida, like I see a little of him in terms of the, the open field. I mean, this is probably overshooting a little bit, but I think you could also maybe compare him uh, to maybe like a, a Tyreek Hill, just in terms of what he can do in the slot. I would say it's more of a style of play. I'm not saying he's like Tyreek Hill. Um, but he, the, the intel says he could be making a decision here pretty soon. Uh, and I think if, if that is indeed the case, then Miami's in a very good spot. The Hurricanes are trying to sell him on the idea of um, doing, a you know, the, the idea of being the go-to guy in that spread offense. And uh, catching a lot of balls, and I think that's really appealing to him. I think the idea of staying home is also uh, appealing to him as well. I have a hot take, Andrew, and I want your opinion on if you think I'm crazy or not crazy. Brashard Smith, I would take over Christian Leary, who is committed to Alabama. Am I crazy or not? <laughs> um, can I say like, yeah, no. Uh, no, no, I mean, look, Christian Leary has, has like world-class speed to me. Um, you know, not world-class to me, but he's got elite speed. He's a a 10, five kid. That's what he opened his, his junior track season with. Uh, but I don't, if you talk to some people around him, they're like, there's, there's starts to be some, become some questions about how, like how good of an actual football player he is. Meaning like, you know, he's not great at catching the ball. Right. Um, he, he's not, I don't think he's super big into like the workouts and you pointed this out to me and I, I kind of really didn't realize it. I mean, if we go back to, to, I think it was February, there was a seven on seven tournament in uh, Doral. Christian Leary was there. I don't remember him really doing much. And then on the, no. on the other field, Brashard Smith was there and, you know, he was kind of taken over and yes, that's seven on seven. Like, you know, that's not the, the game, but 
when you get to see these guys kind of all move together in the same setting and the same element, uh, you can kind of separate them from the rest of the pack. And look, I'm not saying Brashard Smith's better than uh, Christian Leary, but I, 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 I can see the case you're trying to make. I'll say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically what I'm getting at is look, they're, they're very similar profiles as players, right? So they're both going to be slot receivers. They're both like five, nine on a tall day. They're both thicker dudes and they both have very good speed. I, I agree. Christian Leary has better speed than Brashard Smith, but um, you know, I, I just think you look at the rankings and there is somewhat of a disparity there. Uh, Brashard Smith by the composite is ranked 126th where I'm sorry, Christian Leary is ranked 126th in the country and Brashard Smith is ranked 354th in the country. And in my opinion, they are not that much different. Um, you know, I, I just, I just want to throw that out there. Um, I, I just pulled up the, the pre-draft measurables on, on Tyree Kill. And maybe, maybe that comp does work a little bit more uh, than I thought. You know, Tyreek's listed at 5'10", but he's actually really 5'8 and a half, 185. Um, and that's exactly yeah. the measurables for Burchard Smith. Uh, uh, 4'29", I guess, was the, yeah, the pro day. At, uh, yeah. And again, I'm telling you, Burchard's a 4'4 on the lasers, so... Maybe that maybe that does work, but yeah, if a decision comes here soon, uh, I think Miami could very well end up being a pick, which is kind of why uh, I, I tossed in that that crystal ball. I would recommend to you know if you guys haven't checked out Rashard Smith's huddle, his highlight, um, go check it out. Google his name and and huddle, and um, you know it's a fun highlight. He's a guy that you know nearly every time he touches the ball, he scores a touchdown. Um, yeah. And he's dynamic in the return game. He runs through tackles, uh, and he does it against real competition. Like Miami Palmetto plays real competition, which matters to me. So, if you're a Miami fan and Brashard, you hear Brashard Smith commits to Miami before our next podcast. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if it does, you you all should be excited because I think it's it's a big time get for Miami, and it's another sign that you know, this new spread offense is exciting to the big time local recruits. Yeah. I think they're at some point in that huddle. Um, I don't know the minute mark. Maybe I'll drop it on the comments in the site. Uh, Burchard takes a quick pass and he absolutely shakes James Williams, the five-star safety uh, in the open field. I mean, just leaves James Williams not knowing what to do. And it's a pretty impressive play if you want to talk about, like you said, level of competition, it's, it's a home game at Westerns. So James Williams is in a, a gold top and I, I uh, Paul Meadows wearing gray, all gray. So uh, if you find that clip and I think, I think me and Luke Stampini, who used to, to cover 24 seven uh, Florida for 24 seven sports. Like, I think we told Brashard Smith, like, Hey, you should lead your huddle off with, with that play just because it was so impressive. And I, I think he, and I, I mean, I know it's somewhere in there. I just don't know what sequence it is. Check it out. Yeah. I mean, and also too, the point needs to be made. You mentioned Miami Palmetto is a powerhouse this year because of all the studs they got. Not going to be a bad thing. Getting another commitment out of there. Uh, doesn't guarantee at all that Miami's going to land more out of that school, but um, 
it doesn't hurt as well in the recruiting efforts. All right, guys, that'll do it for this episode. Everyone stay safe this uh, July 4th weekend. Yeah. Maybe, maybe who knows, not saying there's going to be an emergency podcast, but uh, there, there's always a chance. And I'm sure when we're back, we'll be previewing what is going on with Cameron Kitchens. Remember, he's going to announce uh, his commitment on July 11th. He's the four-star safety out of Miami Northwestern. So I'm sure more recruiting news will, will take it happen. Take care, guys.